Welcome to the Talking With Tech Podcast. My name is Chris Bouvet, and I'm here, you know, usually when I introduce to the podcast, I say, as always, Rachel Madel, but not today, not as always. Today, it's not with Rachel. Um, it's as sometimes. It's as sometimes with Rachel Madel, but as with sometimes... Melissa Bouguet. My wife. I asked my wife to join us today for the banter. I asked Rachel if I could kind of steal my wife for the banter for this one and um, and kind of share something sort of personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, it's both personal and professional. Um, and so I'll just jump right into it, shall I? Okay, go for it. So um, on the day of this recording, it's the day after that um, we learned that Joy Zabala has passed away. Yeah, thank you. Um, Which is really hard for both of us and many, many others. And so we just wanted to share with you all um, some stories and remembrances that we have of her um, because really she is someone that impacted truly the world. And not only with her intelligence and her expertise in AAC, but just with her joy, truly, you know, her name was so fitting. (laughs) And with her acceptance and love of everyone in, in the business. And I think she was, I can say to both of us, one of our biggest cheerleaders for our little family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know Joy from like my first experience with Joy mm-hmm. is one of those situations where, you know, we were starting our fledgling assistive technology team back in when I oh, hold on, let me let me stop right there and and actually reframe this just a little bit because there might be people going, Who's Joy Zabala? Like right. there might be somebody out there listening that doesn't know who Joy is. Okay. If you've listened to this podcast at all, um, you've heard Rachel and I talk about the SET framework, uh, S-E-T-T, and she is the progenitor of the SET framework. It was her her idea, her her research, her her, her baby, baby essentially. Right? <laughs> um, and so all every time we use that framework to help decide, uh, choose, select, um, discuss uh, the needs of a student, we owe a debt of gratitude to Joy Zabala. Um, so I'm going to talk about how I first met Joy. Go ahead. So my first experience with Joy actually was not, you know, so I, we started our fledgling team. Mm-hmm. Um, we were learning about the said framework. We were uh, using it, you know. I had a folder on my desk, like a standing folder that had the set framework folder with, with stuff printed out so I could research it and, and know it. And there was just this name, Joy Zabala, written on there. Um who knew we'd come to be as close as we were, right? So um, the next experience I had with Joy, but besides being this name, was actually uh, Sally Norton-Darr and, uh, and um, Judith Schoonover, two of my longtime colleagues, and, of course, Mark Nichols. They had met Joy. I think Joy actually had come to our school district to do a presentation, and I couldn't be there. I was, for whatever reason, I wasn't there. We didn't we didn't meet that time. But I had done a, um, I was sort of the lead on this project called the AT Tonight Project, which was back in the day. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. These were making short videos yes. and putting them on DVD oh, yes. and then sending them out through our inter, it's called the Pony, but our inter-mailing system to teachers that want them 
pre-Netflix, right? Yes. Before there was a Netflix, we were sending 80 Tonight DVDs out to yes. people, giving them uh, professional development credit. But I remember uh, Sally and Judy had taken the DVD and showed it to Joy and got this picture of her holding the DVDs. Oh, my gosh. And then sending I remember them. That. Remember that? I remember that. And then sending me um, a copy of that, and, and I was you like, "You are so taken." Yeah, yes! like, oh my gosh, like this the the so mother liberty. of assistive technology, exactly right, is holding this idea of that that we've come made to in our little neck of the woods, you know, and championing it, you know, saying what a great job we were doing uh, with the work that we were doing. Um, so, I mean, we were all tickled, and I was especially tickled to to get that that picture from them. Um, and then from there, it just blossomed, you know, um, through the podcast, my the, my original podcast, the AT Tips cast, and then the work through the uh, Orange book when Sally and I wrote uh, this book called... Um, the fun the, and Practical the, Guide. Thank you. The, <laughs> the Practical and Fun Guide to Assistive Technology in Public Schools. Joy was always such a huge champion for that book and for the ideas in that book. And um, it was one of those things I remember... Uh, when I first actually did get to meet her face to face, Melissa, it was we were at like at a conference mm -hmm. and we were just all kind of, uh, you know, a bunch of people who were presenting sort of kind of gravitated together. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm standing next to Joyce <laughs> You know, oh my gosh, that's Joyce Waller right there. You know, feeling yes. like that. And her welcoming into that community, um, welcoming me into that community with open arms like I had always been there with um, the ideas that I was sharing uh, we're completely like honored and welcomed and welcomed and respected. And, and she just had a way of bringing people together yes. and bringing them in. And it was just, it's just awesome. Like to, 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 to have that moment of being there with her. Um, but then it grew from there because we grew into this, you know, we had this professional relationship where I would go to some of her sessions and she would come to some of mine and I would champion things she was saying. And then she'd champion in, in sessions that I would I would say. Sometimes I would say things just to know that Joy would yell out in the middle of the session like, that's not right. You know, just yes. to, just to make it like fun for the for, for everybody. Um, it was so it was just such a great dynamic that we had. But um, it was always professional. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? We always just had conferences, saw each other. But because of the power of social media, I feel like we grew even closer. And I think that's um, one of the ways you got to meet Joy, right? Yeah. So you became friends with her on Facebook and you would post pictures and um, you were at a conference and I made some remark about you better not post a picture by the pool or something. And Joy came back with, oh, my gosh, is this your wife? Well, then... She she knew that I had been on your podcast as well, and she had heard, and she just loved our family pictures. She just loved watching our kids grow, and um, she friended me on Facebook, and so I would post more mommy-type pictures when you, you know you were doing a lot of the professional at that point, um, and I was still at home. And she was so fun. She would always have some fun banter back and forth with me about um, what was going on that day or, oh, I remember when my kids did this. And then we started messaging each other. I think I said it to you and you were like, okay, like you're messaging with a celebrity, just so you're aware. And I was like, no, it's joy. You know, um, it's Auntie Joy. Yeah, it's Auntie Joy. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Um, but then we went to Florida with you for a conference and we were staying with your aunt and I had gotten a message from her that said, hey, you are so 
close by to us, you need to get off 95 and just pop over to our house. Well, you were at the conference, so I made plans with joy. And when you came home and I said, oh, by the way, on our way home, we're going to stop at Joy's and Adrian's and have lunch. And you said, who, what? <laughs> like Joy, you know, Joy said, who? Who are you talking Zavala? about? <laughs> and you were like, let me get this straight. I can remember you saying, let me get this straight. Do you know what we're going to do? <laughs> and so, again, Auntie Joy, I don't, you know, I'm just going to have lunch with this amazing woman that I love. So we stopped and we met her and she met the kids and it was like her husband was amazing just as amazing as her a little bit more quiet but you could tell that they just had this they were best friends and they had just had this awesome bond and it reminded us actually we said of us mm -hmm. you know and so we always um joy would always joke with us that she wanted us to adopt her um <laughs> because we did some fun things with the kids you know we try we try to be fun parents mm -hmm. So. The paperwork never went through. We it, tried. We did try, but they <laughs> said, no, we can't adopt someone that was older than us. For Apparently, she already had a family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian wouldn't give up rights, all that. All that. Um, and then during that conversation when we were there in North Carolina, that um, I remember her pulling you aside mm -hmm. and saying, you had, you need to push Chris. You yes. need to. Always. And because, and you know, the, as you move along in your career, you have moments of doubt and you're not sure. And you, you shared know. those with her. Yeah. And she appreciated that. And she talked you through that. And then she pulled me aside as we were walking out and said, push him. He mm -hmm. need, you, you're doing great. Just keep pushing him. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of champion that she was all the time all the time yeah exactly and I, I I'm sharing my story but I bet there's a lot of people out there that'll be listening to this going oh my gosh she did the same for me you know she did the same for me but once we heard um about her um being ill and being sick there was not a day that didn't pass that we didn't speak about her or share memory and it was just amazing to us well how fast things can go however what an impact she has had on everyone's lives around her and it's funny because her name is joy smiley zabala and when you see her face i mean truly when we met her in person there was no warmer reception just her smile and her, it's so genuine and her hugs and her her laugh so um yeah but so chris you also had her be your um forward in your book. Yeah, yeah. I asked Joy if she would write the forward for the new assistive tech, Make mm -hmm. Learning Awesome for All. And of course, she said yes. Yeah. And so we had multiple conversations about that. And she wrote that up. And it's I'll always have that. It's always there now. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and I can remember you coming down with from that book um, downstairs after she had read a portion and wrote you back. And you both had this such a mutual respect for each other. But she did have a question about something. And she brought something out in you that you said I hadn't even thought of it and because she said it and because she came she came to me and said hey think about it this way you actually adapted and changed a few things in the book based on what she had said because it really meant that much to you that she would take the time number one and she gave you such professional courtesy to say hey just so you know you know. Yeah, yeah. The way you're wording this might yeah. some people might take it this way. You should consider you know, thinking about it in a different way and maybe softening the language a little bit and it was such the great advice, which yeah. of course I did listen to her and and soften it up and 
that is exactly that sort of story is exactly the kind of um, it illustrates the kind of person that Joy was because she would give such great mentorship advice mm-hmm. by being sort of that guide on the side and and but always being a champion for the work that was being done and it was just and, just she's and just amazing and, and it, not just yeah. being my champion oh <laughs> totally she always was my champion and so I went through many many years of of being a teacher and a case manager and a dean and every time I posted about something it was do they even know what they have there and and just being so proud of me um and so I actually pulled up my last message from her on Facebook when I posted about getting the assistant principal job and she and this just sums her up perfectly they are so fortunate to get you as their AP. I know they think they know how awesome you are, but they really have no idea yet. <laughs> and that was just who she was, you know. Yeah. Um, she was proud of everyone. So So one final joy story. Yeah. You and I had um, uh, had not gotten a lot of alone time with the kids. Oh, yes. right? And the kids were always around us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in our particular dynamic. We didn't have a lot of family nearby as many multiple hours away. And once um, we were able to get uh, a weekend away, you and I escaped to New York. Yes. And we went to see Misery. You uh, bought it for me for Christmas. Yes. It was a big deal. And Bruce Willis Bruce was Bruce Willis was starring in I Misery. Mean, right? Who doesn't love Bruce Willis? You're a huge diehard fan, right? Yeah. And Joy was constantly on us uh, with uh, Facebook message posts. I think probably in Facebook. You got to go see Hamilton. You got to go see Hamilton. Go see Hamilton. Send me a message. My nephew is working backstage. You have got to go see this. And we were like, "Eh, it's new. We just don't have time. Chris, Lord above, we should have gone. This is the one time we didn't listen to Joy. I (laughs) know. What were we thinking? So because it was it was well before the whole Hamilton oh, craze yeah. before Disney Plus before yeah. people I mean it, she was on the cutting edge of it and yeah. um and I we guess we threw away our shot <laughs> Yeah we we did we threw away our <laughs> shot And yeah I think maybe to 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 sum up this this banter with with you and mm-hmm. and, and I and and this reflection on joy for the Talking with Tech podcast I I um <sighs> I just want to say that uh, we'll see you on the other side. And thank you for being such a mentor in marriage and showing us what it truly means to be best friends and have the love of your life and work with that person and um, also being a mentor for everyone out there that needed it and needed to pick me up and half the time she probably didn't even know what she did with her words but but they were always so genuine so I always will make sure that when I'm in my head of being a leader because I'm moving up as a leader she has been a huge impact on why I want to do this yeah and Kim will continue to be Um, so, uh, as we wrap this up, mm-hmm. uh, there was one last thing that I want to invite everyone else listening. Mm-hmm. If joy had an impact on your life and you'd like to submit an audio file, or if you want to get together with me and you want to, um, record something so you can do it independently, or if you want to schedule with me, uh, feel free to reach out to me at attipscast at gmail.com or send me, um, a little audio clip mm-hmm. at attipscast at gmail.com. Uh, you know, just record. I, I think people now 
thanks to the pandemic, people know how to use the technology yeah. where they can record. If it's a video, that's fine too. I can pull the audio out. And we were thinking of trying to do a a tribute episode here on the podcast um, with everybody who would feel comfortable sharing a story, a memory, or any sort of reflection about the life of Joy Zabala. Thank you all for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And how are we going to follow that? Well, who's the interview today, Melissa? I didn't tell you who the interview you today. Did not. I, I'm gonna. So the interview today is. I already mentioned him. It is Mark Nichols. Um, Stop. I know. I know. I know him. <laughs> He's the coolest. So uh, the I mentioned. <laughs> I, I I mentioned um, Mark and I worked together for many many years. Uh, two of the like I said with with Sally and Judy and Mark and I had were, were part of the team that started the uh, Loudoun County Public Schools assistive technology team. And so Mark and I have worked together oh, maybe 15, 20 years, all those times t- together. So I caught up with him to talk about his new job down at Virginia Tech, where Go he's okay. <laughs> Um, and of course, Mark was a uh, huge Joy Zabala fan as well. So, um, without further ado, let's head into my interview with Mark Nichols. Hey there! If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. That's patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Mark Nichols. Mark, how's it going? Uh, it is going fantastic. It's a snowy day in Blacksburg today. Snowy and icy day. So I'm a, I'm a snowbird, so I like the, the cold weather. So I'm happy. <laughs> Working so, from home. Blacksburg is a little bit of a hint. So let's, let's let people in on the secret here. Who are you and what do you do? All right. So... Uh, I uh, have the pleasure of working at Virginia Tech. Um, I relocated in 2017 down to uh, the hills of Virginia in in Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, and uh, had the opportunity to join the um, Accessible Technologies team uh, with Virginia Tech. So my uh, official title is Senior Director of Universal Design and Accessible Technologies. And, and I have a, uh, a small team um, of uh, two, full, two other full-time individuals, uh, actually three other full-time individuals, my, my bad, three full-time individuals now, uh, and a graduate student uh, that helps provide accessibility services uh, across the university. Cool. And let's let people in on this as well, is that you and I um, go back. We go back. (laughs) I guess that's the way to put it. We've um, so so we started together in Loudoun County Public Schools. We were one of the founding we were the founding members of the assistive technology team, along with um, three of our colleagues. Um, Mm -hmm. And we worked together for uh, do you ever count it up? I've kind of lost track of the number of years we worked together. It's got to be it was 15. I was going to say 15 years. Yeah. So before, like you said, then you made the transition over to higher ed from working mm-hmm. in public edu- public school uh, up in Loudoun down south mm-hmm. to to where you are now. So so let's talk about this um, the kind of the 
this what university looks like and the the scope of somebody who might be preparing like say let's say you're an AAC user right? really anybody who has a disability and you're in your um your secondary um let's say you're in your i don't know freshman sophomore junior or senior year of high school you're starting to prepare for the future um what would that look like what would we some what would be questions that I would want to be asking myself or my family want to be asking when we're looking to, towards higher education when it comes to accessibility and what that that uh, whole environment would look like. Sure. Well, so um, just for clarification, so my um, my team is located uh, within a unit called TELOS, which is stands for Technology Enhanced Learning and Online Strategies. Um, it's a subunit inside of the larger division of IT that services the entire university. Um, TELOS's main purpose is to provide uh, support to faculty and staff around the creation of um, learning environments um, and supportive technologies um, that are used to leverage uh, inside of the instructional uh, environment. Um, my, my group, uh, Accessible Technologies, uh, we provide services to uh, um, faculty and staff, uh, training uh, resources, um, a whole slew of different consultative services, um, as well as direct support to different technologies, which I can talk about here in a little bit. Um, but we also do have a, a, a connection with our um, Services for Students with Disabilities office, um, as far as providing some front-facing services to students. So the long, long story there is, um, to your question, the first thing I would recommend anybody looking at a higher ed institution would be to check out, uh, go to their front door, go to the website, do some searching, put some poking around to see what, how do they support um, students with disabilities or faculty with disabilities, or what does inclusion and diversity look like on that respective campus? Um, do they have um, uh, technologies uh, that are universally available to incoming freshmen or to any, any student? Um, that they can leverage um, to support their needs within the instructional environments. Uh, Virginia Tech does have a variety of different technologies that are available to all students, um, regardless of the, the, the big difference right from K-12 to higher ed is that higher ed, um, the student has the option to choose whether or not they self-identify. And so from our perspective with accessible technologies aligned with universal design for learning, we're trying to create accessible uh, environments, inclusive environments, um, offering technologies that anybody can leverage and use without having to go down the route of self-identification. So that would be the first thing I would say would be to, for, for anybody looking at a higher ed institution, poke around on that institution's website, see uh, what sorts of initiatives or what sorts of priorities are related to either physical or digital. Now, again, my, my office, my work is primarily in the digital space. Um, at Virginia Tech, we have a, a, a Office of Equity uh, and Accessibility that primarily, primarily um, looks at the ADA compliance with physical access accessibility on campus, um, the accessibility of the learning spaces themselves, but also the accessibility of all areas of campus from curb cuts to accessible restrooms um, to um, 
uh, a, a new buildings and construction and the planning process to making sure that they're aligned with uh, standards the university has established regarding universal design and of course ADA compliancy with those building codes and standards. So um, I, I would say the, the, the best bet is to first just poke around and see what's happening on campus related to accessibility and if accessibility is included in any of the strategic planning efforts. Um, lots of times you can find those multi-year um, strategic plans for the university, the direction of where they're headed, whether or not it's within a, a subunit, you know, whether or not it's within the division of IT or whether or not it's for the entire university. Um, a roadmap for inclusion and expanding services and is accessibility a part of that roadmap? That's excellent advice there because um, it would it might be a case that you would go or be looking at a university and there'd be no mention of it and then there'd be some places that are at, they recognize that this is an issue and that they're working to resolve it and I think that would be um, kind of an awesome thing to know that okay these people are trying to make it, make things different and better and so this might be an environment that I that is welcoming to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Let me, let me also kind of summarize what I think I heard you say there. So what you specifically work on your what your shop works on is helping the the faculty design their education. So it's and their materials. So it is more inclusive and accessible for everybody. And there's lots of other parts of of the of your university that work on other parts of, of inclusion. And like you said, universal design, but you're sort of hyper focused on that. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's exactly accurate. So, so within um, our parent organization of, of Telos, um, we have um, an instructional design team. Uh, we have a um, learning systems teams that supports um, the, the major educational technologies that are leveraged inside of the um, inside of the classes. So that's our learning management system. Uh, Zoom is covered underneath of that. Um, uh, whenever uh, colleges or departments want to uh, test or experiment with cutting edge technologies, we offer support in a um, in a, what we essentially call a sandbox to provide the right mechanisms to allow that trial to occur with support and identification of expected outcomes and uh, sort of shepherd those tools and ideas through the process to see if this is something that would make an impact in the classroom. And if it does, then we help support expand those efforts. Um, it might be the, the backend support team in developing uh, support documentation to help faculty learn how to use the tools, provide professional development um, to faculty, both face-to-face -face and, rem and remotely. Um, and so we, uh, so my, my team is Accessible Technologies is all part of that service that we're offering to uh, to faculty to improve that environment. And then again, like I said, we work very closely with our um, with both disability services offices. So there's an office specifically for students, services for students with disabilities, and then there's an office for faculty and staff with disabilities, and that's the ADA um, Office of Equity um, and, and ADA Accessibility. And so we work very it's kind of like the the trifecta or the triangle if you will of accessibility services at virginia tech um so ssd may have a student that has um 
uh, a freshman, incoming freshman, let's say, that may uh, need certain technologies um, that the team, their team just does not have the expertise in. So they'll, they'll, they'll ask us to provide some guidance and perhaps some training if necessary um, or collaborative efforts of here's, here's the student, here's the class, here's the accommodation that we feel is needed. How can we leverage technology to help support that student in this environment? Um, so we do a lot of consultations with with those um, with those respective teams, um, and our 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 team has the the means to produce some of the more I would say intensive. Um, accessible educational materials. So one of my staff members, um, who is the director of inclusive media design at Virginia Tech, has the capacity to produce Braille content for instructional materials. So we have the printer, we have the software, and we have the knowledge of producing that in-house. So that's something that the other teams don't have access to. So if we have, or even if it's not a student, if it's a public event that Virginia Tech is offering and an accommodation is needed uh, regarding Regarding the production of that material in in Braille, then let's say then we would have that capacity to produce that content to make it available for that event. So, I, okay, I the way I heard that is that you kind of come at it at two different angles. What I heard you say, and I think we try and do this too in the public school, is that when the when a either an individual teacher or a, a department is considering a new technology, they want to try it out. You look at it from an accessibility lens and say these are some things you might anticipate um, would or would not work, right? Is that, that's one aspect of it is like a, a preventative measure. So someone who comes in the environment no longer goes, oh, well, this doesn't work for me. Is that, is that, that's one part of it. Is that accurate? That is, that is one part. The only thing I would say is that what's significantly different from a K-12 to higher ed perspective is the autonomy by each college and department across the university. So in an ideal world, what you just said there, 100%. When we can talk with faculty about the types of tools that they're wanting to employ and talk about the accessibility of that, and it's vetted through our IT procurement process where we're looking at FERPA compliance and we're looking at security um, compliance before the tools are actually rolled out and implemented. However, we are a large institution, and I know other institutions face the same thing. Each college is almost like its own individual school district. So sometimes coordinating those efforts can be very challenging. But the service that you just described there, yes, is available to any faculty, staff member, department head, dean that wants to leverage Telos's services to help improve the instructional delivery of leveraging technology in those environments. So that is a service we offered, but I can't say that everybody in the university leverages that service. Yeah, well, and I think that actually it's very similar in the public space or public school space. We have teachers that have found a new web tool. Do I have to upload student information? No, great. Okay, then I'll just use it. You know, it, they have a, a short little checklist in their own minds of what might work uh, in many cases. And then other teachers have a much more robust checklist where maybe accessibility is part of that checklist for their mm -hmm. own kind of vetting process. And so we've got teachers in everywhere, kind of all over the map with accessibility, um, which will bring us, I think, to a future your question, but I wanted to come back to the, the, the other reactive side, which is you do have a student that might have very specific needs, maybe using technology already that they're comfortable with, but other people are not. And it sounds like they could come to the university. It wouldn't necessarily be your specific 
part of the trifecta there that is helping them, but you still do some support there. Is that that accurate? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, and generally so coming into Virginia Tech, and I know a lot of other institutions uh, are the same way. They have requirements for incoming freshmen uh, as far as technology requirements. Um, and sometimes those requirements are tailored specifically to the college that you're going into. Um, the, the College of Engineering uh, requirements on a laptop look different than some of the other areas of the university. So there are certain requirements that students have coming in. And, and, and what, what I'm, what I think we're seeing as a, um, a consistent, um, what's the right word here to say, um, students are coming in with the technology not adequately informed in, about the accessibility elements of that technology or how to successfully leverage the free tools that the institution makes available to them to be successful in their classes. So Loudoun has read and write available to every student. So does Virginia Tech. Um, Loudoun, I think, the, do you have Equatio available as well? Is mm -hmm. that part of the package? Okay, so Virginia Tech has that as well. The number of students um, that just aren't familiar with text-to-speech is just amazing that they've never they've never been exposed to text to speech before, and so by having these universal technologies available um, to every student, um, there's no self there's no identification needed, and so we provide the supports as a university necessary for students to go in, download the the, the application independently on their respective machines, um, and we do offer uh, we have a, a a separate lab inside of the library. We meaning the accessible technologies team that is generally a support mechanism for students that do self-identify that need access to some technologies that may they may not be able to procure and place on their individual machines. So we have some technologies such as JAWS, um, uh, hard screen magnification hardware and software tools, um, height adjustable universally designed uh, desks um, to allow for a little more flexibility for students that might need a quiet workspace or um, adjustments to, to allow them to successfully engage while studying or doing coursework, things like that. So, so there are set standards and, and options that are available to students, but I think we're, we see, and I think I, 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 I've seen this trend since I started with Virginia Tech in 2017, that so many students come in unprepared to successfully leverage the technology and they're thrown right into these intensive classes and they don't know how to note take very well or they don't know how to um, leverage the ex executive functioning skills that they need to be successful and how technology can help support that. So we work in tandem offering workshops to faculty so that faculty can also understand these strategies and build them into their syllabus or make students aware that when a student comes to you struggling in your class, regardless if the student has a disability or not and has self-identified with the disability services office, you as a faculty member can perhaps share some best practices or ideas of leveraging these types of tools to be successful. So what are some strategies you, that you think faculty might use to help people know that these sort of universally available tools are available? Well, so we've, um, I mentioned Read and Write and Inquatio. We've done specific workshops with faculty to, to give them the student perspective of how a student might, taking some sample materials from various different uh, courses, um, how you might leverage 
these tools for successful outcomes with students and the production of those materials, what that looks like or how, where some of the barriers students might, um, uh, where students might experience barriers in respective coursework and how this technology can help remediate that. So one of the things that we've been doing a lot of, uh, of um, outreach and, and PR with faculty on is, um, so with this push, you know, COVID uh, pushed us into this virtual um, uh, instructional environment, um, and, and most of us were not prepared for that to the degree in which we, we, we were faced with some of these challenges. So um, this has been an opportunity um, while COVID has presented many challenges, it has also opened up the door for conversations around accessibility, around universal design, and around in in inclusive and instructional frameworks. And so part of Virginia Tech's commitment to accessibility was moving forward with uh, the um, procurement of a accessibility validation checker tool called Ally that's integrated into our Canvas learning management system. So Ally provides um, inside of Canvas provides support to both faculty and students. And we've been doing a lot of work working with faculty of how they can improve their accessible materials, but also from the student experience, how students can go in and download those materials in alternative formats Again, not having to self-identify, it's available to end every student and why students might be doing that um, and educating faculty around the, the, the pedagogy of accessible educational materials. Um, one of our challenges is, is reaching the broad scope of faculty. There's, you know, there's over, you know, 2,000 faculty, and bringing them into uh, sometimes a face-to-face -face or a Zoom meeting to to do that level of instruction, it's not for everybody, right? And there's a lot of scheduling and a lot of demand. Same thing in the K-12 space. So. Ally, what we liked about it was that it provided on-demand remediation assistance inside of the Canvas environment. So when faculty upload content into the Canvas course, they can uh, see in real time the accessibility check being done on their materials. It gives them guided instructions on how to remediate that content. Um, and we've provided sort of a, the low hanging fruit. Like th this isn't to say you've got to jump on everything and, and, but pick a goal, you know, maybe your goal is all your content is going to have alternative tags um, and an ally helps identify that and helps you add image descriptions for all of your images in the environment and educating faculty why this is beneficial, of course, for somebody who might be using screen reader technology, but real life example here, we have students that were literally driving to gas stations in the areas that they were computing from home in order to get internet reception to participate in classes. Now, this was back in, in March, April, May, when the, it was all fresh and new, right? So we had students that were downloading content um, over very slow connections and images weren't showing up, right? Mm -hmm. But the alt tags that were behind those images were showing up. And so it was kind of like an aha moment for some faculty. It was like, Okay, yeah, I get that now. That that I, I see that I'm not trying to do it for this this you know niche population of of students with disabilities. That okay, there's some universal benefit of doing that there. So we're trying to build upon that momentum that what we're suggesting and what we're providing resources and training on and the tools we're bringing to the campus are really universal strategies that everybody can benefit from. Wow. So we had the exact same experience, Mark, in that um, uh, there was this huge opportunity when the pandemic hit because there was this sudden awareness of from teachers 
that, and this is going to sound exactly what, what you just said that like, Oh, well, who, how, how do I do this? How do I make these things accessible? And we did like, I, I can't necessarily rely, rely on giving it to somebody else to make it accessible. I have to make it accessible uh, right from the get-go. And how do I do that? And we were very fortunate that our ID department, we were very fortunate that our IT department had already purchased a tool called Grackle. And Grackle was force installed. It was one of the few things that were force installed on everybody's computer. And because we were in Google environments, we Grackle is an accessibility cheat checker, just like um, you were sort of mentioning Ally. And we took people through exactly what you said. Like, okay, just the same way you do spell check at the end of something, right? Or the same thing, you kind of read it over, but you hit the hit send button, please hit this little bird button. It's going to tell you what to fix. And, and like you said, pick one. And one of the outcomes we saw is that teachers started to realize and, and anticipate the mistakes they were making. Like, oh, well, I'm not going to not put picture and I'm not going to put alt text in my pictures anymore now I know I need to do that and they would do that and they'd progressively get better so that their checks became less and less robust do you know what I mean they started to anticipate what to do it, it, it helped drive what they knew about accessibility and so let me ask you a specific question there about ally did you say that that's a commercial product or did you say that that's something you work to build so it is a commercial product offered uh, through Blackboard, um, even though it is a Blackboard licensed accessibility checker, it does work with other learning management systems. We actually had done a pilot for about a year with specific um, faculty and staff and students on campus to, to leverage the tool to see if it was an appropriate match for our needs with the university. So we had um, Prior to COVID, I had developed a critical needs request and submitted that to the Division of IT uh, to deploy Ally on a scaled level across the institution. And that critical needs request was funded in direct response to the COVID situation in March and April. And so we had a full integration and rollout of that tool um, uh, in, in the in late March, um, and then came the the uh, scramble to get all of the support documentation and and um, uh, marketing and promotional materials available and the campus news announcements out which was all it was all great it was just a it was just a rush so that we faculty would know you've got support and here's how you can leverage you know that that, that support um, and it gave us honestly uh, it gave us something that we had never had before and that was a microscopic view of our learning management system to see uh, from a from a 20,000 foot lens what is the what does our LMS look like as far as the content related to accessibility and so we were able we can drill in uh, to each individual college to look at specific classes, but it gave us a, a full campus or a full university wide scope of the content that we have in there and where we need to focus efforts moving forward. Case in point, our number one file format, probably no surprise, inaccessible are PDF documents, mm -hmm. image PDF files. And so that presented us, that, that sort of set us, and we had very specific numbers that we could say, here's the number of inaccessible PDFs currently in our learning management system. Um, and that doesn't include all of the PDFs that are on our websites for all the respective areas of the university. And there are thousands upon thousands of websites affiliated underneath of the vt.edu umbrella, if you will. So that gave us data to proceed with strategic planning, to look at 
um, a pilot we're in right now on a very customized new PDF remediation software tool that simplifies the remediation process that we're hoping to be able to scale to the university through another critical needs request here in the upcoming months um, in a direct response to Ally helping us to identify where was our priority focus that we needed to take across the university. So um, COVID was the catalyst for Ally and Ally was the catalyst now for the next tier of remediation assistance to really dive in and, 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 and fix. As you mentioned, it's not feasible to have a single team do remediation, at least at Virginia Tech. With, with, my, with, with four people on an accessible technologies team, we can't remediate the university's PDF. So we need to, to franchise accessibility, right, in that work and, and, and the shared buy-in that you can do this, but we've got to provide the resources and the training for, for folks to know how to do it. Um, and it's got to be a cost-effective solution. So we, we've hit challenges. You know, Adobe is a great tool. It's complex. And there's also a, a cost associated with that. So we're trying to figure out where those barriers were previously and then figure out an alternative route for the creation of more accessible content by providing all the necessary support um, structures necessary to be successful. So I, I love that, that that tool, it was so helpful. I mean, it's, it totally makes sense that you would have some sort of numbers now, quantitative numbers that you could then set a goal from rather than just this idea, well, we want things to be more accessible. How do we know that we can change the number of PDFs? Like that's such an exciting thing because you can just see like, look, in 2020, this is the number of inaccessible PDFs. And in 2025, now look at our number, you know, our, our, our initiatives have worked, you know, that's, that's awesome. Um, there might be people listening going, well, that sounds great, but how do I make things accessible in my neck of the woods? Like I don't have Ally and I don't have a tool, you know, maybe I don't have Grackle. And so there are some sort of maybe universe, and you also, let's, let's also make sure you had mentioned this with the students, that students are maybe coming in with this general lack of knowledge about the accessibility tools built into the technology they use every day. You know, you and I have done presentations on the accessibility features of iOS devices, Apple devices, right? Um, so there are these tools that are available already um, that you can use, that you can leverage to either learn about accessibility so that if you're creating documents, um, you're creating materials, you can check the accessibility. Um, and then there's also these universal accessibility tools that if you're consuming content using any of these platforms that you can turn on. W would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, if, if, if I had my perfect scenario, I would say all incoming freshmen or any incoming student at any level into the university would have some sort of an on-demand accessibility training module that would be available to them that would highlight aspects of accessibility for the technology tools that are in use. Now, I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek because K-12 spaces, some, there's some level of guardrails, at least from my experience, on the technology that's used. In higher ed, it's an open highway. And so you have every type of technology from, you know, Microsoft environment to the Apple environment to the Google platform to, you name it, it's probably being used in higher ed at the institution. So how do you scale that to uh 
an air to to something that's manageable for students. And I think bringing it back to some of the core executive functioning needs that you need to be successful as a student um, and connecting even portions of those technologies that are generally going to be available on the machines you're bringing in. Most students are bringing in uh, either a Windows-based machine or um, an Apple laptop. Um, there are certainly tablets that are being used, but generally the requirements, as I mentioned previously, how colleges have requirements for entry, generally those requirements are going to be at Virginia Tech are going to be some sort of a personal computer. Apple or, 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 or Windows-based machine. So how can we take those accessibility functions, those support mechanisms, and build them into some sort of a module that would be available specifically to students? In my ideal world, that would exist. Um, and that module would exist for any faculty that uh, is uh, the, that would be coming to Virginia Tech as part of an onboarding process of here are the technology resources that are available to you and your students. And maybe even in my ideal, in Mark's world, I've got all these video recordings of students that are indicating how they've leveraged technology in a uh, mechanical engineering class to be successful in a communication class, in an education class, in all aspects of the university so that faculty are seeing these different and unique perspectives of how students can be successful. That would be my ultimate vision there of, of how we can do that. We're not at a point yet of implementing anything like that. We're trying and we're working with faculty to further educate them around the success uh, full adoption of, uh, of technology by students. What I am, what I'm hopeful is that, and this would be to tie back to one of your initial questions of what, if you're looking uh, at a university, what should you, what what types of questions should you ask? What should, what should you be looking for? Is there a how is the disability student community represented on the campus? Um, is there so Virginia Tech has a, um, a disability alliance, um, which is uh, made uh, comprised of students with disabilities and a di and a disability caucus, which is comprised of faculty. That group um, meets on a uh, regular basis, several times a month, to discuss advocacy, to provide guidance back to that trifecta of shops that I mentioned earlier, su uh, students and faculty and accessible technologies of where the challenges that they're facing and what, what are they experiencing um, currently on campus in both a physical and a digital um, environments. And so taking that information and connecting that back into providing the right support technology resources, the right training materials, um, I think that would help that that that's a way of helping to build sort of this support structure for incoming students and, and module development. And are there students that would take the 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 jump, the the leap to advocate for that type of support and and design that type of support, right? We've got so many amazing students at our university. Why don't can we empower them to create something that would have a benefit to all incoming students and we just be the mechanism to help make it available they're doing all the design work on that and so i know you we've we've worked with students before in leveraging their skill sets and i think that's something that that 
higher ed does to a small degree, but I think we could do a much better job of it. And I think accessibility is the perfect mechanism to get students involved and supporting their community at the institution. Okay, so you're making me tear up, man. I miss working with you because, you know, we are so similar minded in this way that this um, in, in our neck of the woods, we have this phrase, you know, make meaningful contributions to the world. And that doesn't mean you wait until you get into the workforce. It means you do that when you're in second grade, you know, and that we, we've been having those same conversations for years here is like, well, okay what gets a student out of the bed in the morning? Like what's, especially now in this kind of, um, this weird reality that we're living in, it's like, what drives you to go learn more? Well, it's helping people, right? So let's create, I love what you, the words you use, those caucuses, you know, let's get these groups of people together and say, how are we going to, and accessibility is a great tool um, or a great notion, this inclusive technology and accessibility and making things more usable to get people together and go, how are we going to do that? And I love your your Mark's World vision of a, a course that I want to make sure everyone heard it because I'm not sure people might be thinking because they're listening to this podcast and you and I talking that you were thinking that this would be um, a class that if you have a disability that you would take when you come in, but that's not what you said. This is just a class everybody takes when they come in because everybody needs to learn those executive functions of like managing a calendar and uh, having a to-do list and um, taking notes in an effective manner and which selecting a tool that they're going to use for a task. You know, I could see all those parts of, of, and, and what technologies are available to help them do that. Uh, one that's available to them uh, with the technologies they already have. And then two, what their institution, um, their higher ed institution or whatever has available to them. I mean, if it's, if, even if we're talking about the workforce, what is your, what does your work provide you that allows you to get those tools if it's not built in already, you know, or get those functions if it's not built in already. So sign me up. I mean, yeah. let's, um, it's let's Friday <laughs> when we're recording, so let's see if we can knock that out by Monday. What do you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Close the business on Monday. That that sounds very reasonable. Mm -hmm. But really, the practical step there, and I think you are so right, is to get the students involved. Like th them creating something, them learning something, and us as the adults just um, kind of providing a little guidance and feedback that and, and help them uh, knock down any barriers or challenges they face as they face them. Um is such a worthwhile, that's the way to go, right? Because then yeah. the entire population, though all those students that then um, leave, leave one, understanding the, um, the importance of the work they're doing, but two, have a, a more broader understanding of, of all the other people out in the world that are not exactly like them. Um, and, and then we've built this more inclusive society. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think I hope folks that are listening to this have an aha moment of, all right, I need to, I need to do, I, I, there's more I can do to actively involve students. And I say that, and, and that we aren't the model by any means at Virginia Tech, but we've had some very successful, very small um, areas where we have involved students. Um, and specifically, we have involved um, senior capstone communication courses where the students in those courses have helped us design marketing and PR campaigns to support um, accessibility efforts across the campus. I know you're familiar with the, the Calm campaigns, the Choose Accessible Learning Materials, and those campaigns are aligned to um, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines standards um, for producing accessible content. And each year we've rolled out a new campaign related to closed captioning, related to color 
contrast related to ally. Um, and we have promotional materials that have been designed by some of these student teams. Some of the marketing ideas that we've employed across campus have stemmed from those teams. And I say that, that on our website, and I'm sure you'll probably post a, a URL to our website, anybody listening that wants to pull that material, we make it available. And I have the backend root files, the Photoshop files, the InDesign files. We don't make those public on our website, but if somebody is interested and wants to take, and take those ideas and run with them at their own institutions, this is, you know, we're all, we're all about sharing here, right? That's the nature of education. So, um, so feel free to contact me um, if you'd like those backend raw files, but you can certainly grab any of the content on our website and you can leverage that. We've had James Madison is a great example. They've taken it, they've, they've added the, they've changed the color scheme appropriately to, to reflect um, their uh, purple uh, and gold colors, uh, but they've taken the same idea and uh, and focused uh, from a, a keep calm and UDL um, aspect of designing accessible materials and implementing a, a framework to support uh, goal development and 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 methods and materials in their instructional design environment. So um, so yeah, it's all about sharing, and it's really it's it is about leveraging the the power of the collective student mindsets that we have. Have literally that are walking between us every single day and we're not harnessing that so if we can connect with faculty to create those authentic experiences that perhaps accessibility is one avenue that we could do you know a video production project um, promotional marketing materials an accessible website design that focuses on executive functioning skills of students and faculty let's not leave out the faculty and staff here I mean we're all struggling in this world right and so we're all trying to leverage tools effectively what's going to work for adults, it's going to work for incoming students or may work for incoming students. And so how can we how can we leverage that those those student ideas um, in a way that 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 can include be inclusive and build capacity across the university um, regarding technology adoption and inclusion? It's so exciting. You know, there's such potential here for change. And all we need is the right people to to be the champions of it. And you certainly are one of those people. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing uh, what you're doing in your neck of the woods. Um, and I feel like it's really inspiring. For, and, and, and there's so much that we can replicate here. Um, thank you so much. Absolutely. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure, Chris. And, and uh, I've enjoyed being here. As you mentioned, we've got 15 plus years behind us uh, working together. So I'm 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 excited by the work that that you are doing as well, and and the this this podcast series, being able to connect with with a broader audience and share tips and strategies and ideas for the greater good of the cause that we're all trying to to support. So thank you for all your efforts with with this series. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been awesome.